Welcome to the Healing While Black podcast, where we believe it's possible and necessary for Black people to heal, thrive, and celebrate our lives in the face of injustice. We'll highlight the often unheard voices and perspectives of Black people on a range of topics that impact our lives. I'm Misty. And I'm Kiana. And we're two Black women therapists with real lives trying to heal while Black and figure it all out too. Thanks for joining us. You ready? Mm-hmm. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's been a minute, but we're back. Yes, it's season two of the Healing While Black podcast. We definitely missed you all, and we're so excited to be back on air. Yep. Now, we have an inspiring season ahead. We're going to be hearing from more wonderful guests. We're also going to be continuing to explore what it means, what it has been, and can look like to heal ourselves as Black people. And be sure to check out any of the first season's episodes that you may have missed. Yes. Now, we were away for a little bit of time, but we still kept the conversation going. And so for our first episode of this season, we'll be sharing a live Healing While Black episode that aired at Brown University this spring. Kiana and I both shared about our personal experiences being low-income, first-generation Black students at predominantly white universities, as well as what has supported us in our healing journeys throughout this pandemic and the country grappling with racial injustice. Let's take a listen. Hi, welcome, welcome. Greetings. Um, We are so glad that you are here for this special edition of Healing While Black podcast at Brown University. Um, This is a special collaboration between the Brown Center for Students of Color, where I am coming from. My name is Sage Morgan Hubbard. Um, I am the assistant director at the BCSC, um, and we're in collaboration with the UFLY Center. And this is going to be a fabulous time. Please um, save your questions and curiosities till the end, where there'll be time for you to have Q&A. I am very, very excited to pass the mic over to Donnell Williamson. Um, Donnell Williamson is an amazing member of our community. He goes by he, him pronouns. He's the graduate community and engagement coordinator at the UFLY Center. He's a second year PhD student in religion and critical thought at Brown. He's a first generation alumnus of Morehouse College, where he received a BA and sociology and Emory University where he's received his Master of Divinity degree. In his spare time, Donnell enjoys spending time with friends and family, listening to music, reading and writing, playing tennis, traveling, and being an amazing critical scholar um, that we're really blessed to have in our community at Brown. Donnell is a native of Shelby, North Carolina, and without further ado, please um, give it up for your MC of the evening of this afternoon, Donnell. Oh, thank you so much, Sage. I really appreciate that phenomenal introduction. Um, I am so happy to be here with you all. Welcome to Healing While Black. We have a phenomenal, phenomenal afternoon in store for you all. We have two amazing people who I have the honor of introducing. Let me first start by introducing 
uh, Misty Wilson, who's originally class of 2004 at Brown. She's a native of Providence. Misty has been instrumental in grassroots uh, organizations, leading youth programs and community organizing efforts, including co-founding the Providence-based youth organization, Youth in Action. While in high school, she later worked as a community organizer alongside Providence community members at Direct Action for Rice and and equality on the successful legislative campaign that led to the passage of Ban the Box in Rhode Island. She continued on to do community work in the DC metro area while obtaining her master's in clinical social work from the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and now works as a mental health therapist in Silver Spring, Maryland, where she provides psychotherapy to primarily low-income individuals and families of color. Misty had a non-traditional journey at Brown that included motherhood and several years of leave. Misty returned to Brown as an older undergraduate student and participated in commencement with her two children in hand in 2011. She officially received her bachelor's of arts in Africana studies in 2014. And we also have Kiana Wade. Kiana is a mental health therapist currently practicing in Bethesda, Maryland. Her approach to therapy is to help black and brown clients to understand their right to joy, prosperity, and healing. Kiana has worked to help children, families, and adults with mental challenges, explore methods to move beyond the restraints of white supremacy in today's society. Her mission is to provide a compassionate, supportive, and authentic space for healing for individuals and communities of color. After receiving her Master of Social Work degree in the, at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, her interest in positively impacting systemic changes in organizations that serve Black communities was ignited. This also resulted in the creation of the Healing While Black podcast, where she co-hosts discussions related to Black people and navigating systems not intended for the success of all people. You know, without further ado, I would like to introduce both Kiana and Misty to you all at this moment. I know that they are aware and conscious of the Brown community, but more importantly, they're interested in having an honest and transparent conversation with you all. So this is an opportunity to truly engage these two phenomenal individuals to talk about what it means to heal while hurting, to heal while Black, to heal in a system, in, in a country that has systemically oppressed, structurally oppressed those who do not look like the predominantly quote-unquote racial dynamic uh, in the racial demographic. So without further ado, I want to introduce Kiana and Misty, and uh, I look forward to uh, hearing, hearing from the two of you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Donnell. That was a wonderful <laughs> introduction. Absolutely. Thank you, Donnell. Oh. Kiana, I don't know about you, but I am excited to be here today. Thank you to, to Brown for welcoming us and you know inviting us to be here. Um, I'm excited to engage in this conversation and with Brown students and you know many of those who have journeys that are complicated, just like mine and just like Kiana's. Um, I also just really want to highlight the work of um, the BCSC and UFLY and Sarah Doyle Center um, for all the work that you're doing to hold space and highlight and support um, students of color, first generation, low income students on campus. Um, I, I know from experience that, you know, the importance of spaces like this and certainly wish that that was the case when I was here. So thank you for all the work that you guys are doing. Absolutely. All right. Ready to jump in? Let's let's get into this. All right. <laughs> 
So why don't we start kind of with giving a breakdown about what the podcast is, kind of what 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 is that idea and our intention in that? Absolutely. You know, starting the Healing While Black podcast was actually an idea that you had, Kiana, um, that Kiana had. Um, and it was really about creating a space um, for Black folks, for, for us Black folks to talk about, you know, different issues and, and struggles that we face um, and to talk about the the various ways that we can go about healing right and, and tackling yeah. destigmatizing mental health in the non-dominant communities right non-white communities uh helping people that look like us to understand that healing is something that we deserve just as much as anyone else so that that exactly. really helped to motivate what the podcast has become and you know to have the discussion about looking outside of white supremacist ideas and ideals to heal ourselves absolutely and i think that piece is important right like looking outside of you know the system of white supremacy that we you know all find ourselves in you know and and getting the opportunity to highlight some of the ways that we have historically and continue to heal you know and to grow and to evolve you know as a people um you know just really taking it out of the context you know of of you know the the white world um, essentially, so having an opportunity to to talk about our issues, you know, the the struggles, the joys, all of that, um, and you know, doing it also, I think, in in a, a fun way, you know, in a way that you know we're in conversation with each other, we get to, you know, include our stories in it as well. Absolutely. Yeah, we are here here at Brown, um, and we want to spend some time to talk about what our experiences were like being uh, first generation college and low income, you know, students of color, you know, in the US. Um, and then we also really want to take some time to to talk through this moment that we're in, right, where we're experiencing all of this kind of racial strife in the country. And, you know, we all know that none of this is new, but now things are being talked about and, and, and dealt with on a national level. Um, and we want to take some time to talk about what it what it feels like to just go through that um and but also what it what it could be like to to cope and and to heal amidst you know this moment that we're in as well as you know deal, dealing with all of this in the middle of a pandemic um so just we'll dig in things going on just a few things going on just a few <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about yeah. our journeys right like what what was it for us as first generation students, as minority students, as women, as you know, so many titles we have. What what were your hopes and dreams and goals in attending school or or going to Brown? That's a good way to start, you know, with on the hope level, right? You know, with the, the hopes and dreams. Um, I think. For me, you know, I grew up in I grew up in Providence um, and I grew up through, you know, in low income neighborhoods, um, spent a good amount of time, you know, living in housing, pro you know, in the housing projects and public housing. Um, and, you know, 
on the real college wasn't really something that was talked about, you know, that much in, you know, in my neighborhood, um, you know, amongst, you know, the people in my family, you know, folks were about working and, and surviving and, you know, and all of that. Um, and so I, yeah, so I wasn't thinking about it for a good amount of time, um, but I, I found myself to be a little bit of a dreamer growing up. Um, and I, you know, and I, I say that I think I would just, and, and some of that probably was just like me kind of daydreaming because some parts of reality and some parts of life were hard, right? You know, and you, you, you know, some, some of us dream about, okay, well, how can things be different and all of that. But I, I would find myself, you know, thinking about, you know, like asking questions like, why are, you know, folks using drugs and, you know, why are, you know, the drug dealers doing their thing? And I would, I would find myself like imagining that, what if the, the drug dealers were like lawyers, right? You know, what if some of like, you know, the, my, the folks that like dropped out of school, you know, that I came up with, what if they were, some of them were teachers or, you know, like I would just like find myself in this little bit of a dream world. And I think that really prompted me to jump on any opportunity that came about my way. Um, and so um, I, you know, grew up for a good chunk of my early upbringing in the housing projects in Pawtucket, actually, um, and, and Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And um, I remember there being a, a cool program um, that came about, well, it was a theater program, and it was um, led by somebody who actually is a, a wonderful artist and leader in the Providence community, Rafini. Um, so some that name might ring a bell. I think my first interaction with Brown was actually through Rafini and through that that theater program. And so we we got to come to the Rights and Reasons Theater and watch a play. Um, and so my little elementary middle school self like got the chance to like see what, a, a, you know, get a little glimpse of what life on a college campus was like, you know, while kind of living in the, in the housing projects. And so fast forward, I jumped on the opportunity to go to a really wonderful high school. Um, I, you know, I was in the first graduating class of the Met High School in Providence that really allowed me the opportunity to explore my interests. Um, and one of those interests was in doing what I could to play a role in changing my community. So I got to the opportunity to help start Youth in Action in Providence, you know, with some of my peers and one of our adult mentors. And so college sort of felt like you know, an opportunity to further that, you know, and so it was like a, an opportunity for me to continue being a dreamer and thinking about like what life could be like for the people that I grew up around. Um, and so, you know, when I, uh, you know, applied to Brown and other other places, I just had this whole like thought of, okay, I, I want to study like, I, I remember actually having like a little bit of a map out of like what I wanted to study. It was, it was kind of nerdy in a way, <laughs> you know, but it was like, I was like, I want to study urban studies so I can understand like urban settings and I want to study like sociology so I can understand people and their interactions. And I want to, I want to study psychology so I can understand what's going on in people's minds. You know, I had this like view of like, I, I want to study these things, you know, so that I could equip myself with the tools I need needed to like, make some change, you know, um, for folks. Or a woman with an action oh. plan. Let me tell you, <laughs> it all yeah. set up, knew how to get through it and all. My journey is oh. different. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about your journey. So tell me what, what inspired you to kind of move yourself through college or get there. Right. I, um, my, my background's a little different. So my mother 
um, we spoke about on other podcasts, but she is uh, from Trinidad. So she came here. I'm first generation uh, family here, you know, born here in this existence. So college growing up wasn't something that really was talked about. Uh, my father passed away when I was 14 years old. Now, if he was alive, I think it would have been a different conversation because he was American and he had a different kind of view on education. Mm. But growing up with my mother, you know, surviving was key, right? So we had to survive. My mother at one point, she worked three different jobs just to ensure I had a roof over my head. I had food on the table. So college wasn't something that I thought about too much. I thought about how to make money so I can stay alive, right? right. And that really was my motivation just in life. When I got, when I graduated from high school, I, I was like, well, I don't, really know what I want to do you know I don't want I don't know what career I want I don't know what to do so I just decided to go to um community college here but it still wasn't with any intent right it was just like well I don't have anything else to do I'm gonna go to community college I think one semester I took ballet golf and swimming so I think that that <laughs> shows that. That, that it wasn't really um <laughs> anything of importance to me at that time it was just like how do how do I fill my time and then how do I make money so um I kind of fell into it but what I did know for sure was my mother had worked too hard all her life my grandmother had worked too hard all her life my aunts my mm. everybody and what I yeah. did know was I wanted the money but I didn't want to kill myself trying to attain it and that is yeah. what motivated me then to be like, okay, college is the way because I'm not gonna work my fingers to the bone. It just yeah. isn't a dream of mine. That part of the American dream isn't part of my dream. Wow. So kind of seeing the struggles that your folks came up with and really wanting something different for yourself. It, it sounded like you weren't quite sure what that was, but it was like, I, I, I need, something needs to be. Yeah. I didn't know what the know? difference was, mm -hmm. but I knew something needed to be different. I watched my grandmother live six months in America and six months in Trinidad mm. work six months in America just to afford to be able to do things back home. Right. And that's a lot. That's a yeah. lot. That's a yeah. lot. And my, I've watched aunts, have to leave their kids in Trinidad and come here and work to have money to send home. Like, I just didn't want that for myself. I understand the sacrifice. I understand the struggle. And I also understand it could be done differently. I could achieve the same right. goals differently. I had different opportunities and I needed to take advantage of those. Yeah. All right. Okay. I, I like that we started with the, the bright part of it our vision or or you know what what came before what um, i love about your story though is how you were dreaming not just for yourself but for the people in your community like the the dude on the block right i wonder if he knew that you were dreaming for him in that way at that time mm. how would that have, that literally makes me want to cry if he only knew that someone yeah. who didn't know him loved him enough just because he existed as she did to have dreams for him, who child, what 
what impact could, have that, could <laughs> that have had on him? But I love that part yeah. of your story and who you are, that dreamer part of it. That's, I love it. Thank you, love. Thank you. I think, I mean, and I, and I feel like, you know, as with all of us, like, right, there's, we feel connected to the people that we come from or that we, you know, come up with. And, you know, just like you, I think, you know, you talked about before that, you know, it was important for you to also be able to send stuff oh back God. home, you Absolutely. know, and, and, you know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's something, I mean, also, I mean, not everybody has to think about that either. Right. You know, like, you know, you're here and you're, you feel, even though it's a struggle, you know, you're in somewhat of a privileged position, you know, because you're in the U.S. in some way, right? So even if you're struggling to, you know, make ends meet, you know, you're still pushing to like, while you're struggling, still being there for other, you know, for, for family, being there for, you know, folks overseas, right? You know, Right. I will say that is one of, that was one of my biggest dreams to be able to send money home to send money help family to Mm -hmm. because like you were saying it's 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 a different struggle there right it's a third world country you know what i mean like so any privileges that i have that i can extend to them it's my job in my mind it's my job never do they say gimme gimme i need i need i deserve but in my mind the way i was brought up being from a caribbean culture that's what it is and the fact that I'm able to do that, and I'm, I was able to do that, I think, because I went to college, I could have done it in other ways. But because I took this journey right. and went through a whole lot of stuff, I'm able to now do this. And I love that. Yes, I love it. Yeah, yeah. And All so, right, so anyways. you dreamed, right? You dreamed, you had these <laughs> goals and these thoughts about what college can do for you or could do for you in your community. What was that experience like for you, though? So actually, get into college, and and you know, and I, you know, I want to hear what you want to hear what you got to say too. But yeah, I think start off with this. I you know started off with these big goals, big dreams. You know what I mean? And you know, coming from you know struggle, um, and then I get to Brown, which was a dream too, right? Like in a way, it was like, whoa, what? Like you know, I remember getting accepted into Brown and, and being like that was like a reach for me, you know, like that's, wow, like, I okay, that you know, I made it, you know, um, I think when I think of overall about, you know, just like my experience going to Brown and, and having the opportunity to go to college, I feel very, I feel very blessed, right? I do feel privileged, right, in, in many ways, um, because I know so many people just did not have access to that, you know? Um, and I also feel like really also blessed that I, at Brown in particular, that I got to study what I did, right? Like I got to study Africana studies, right? So the study of the black diaspora, right? And, and all that sort of that encompasses, right? Um, and for me, that was really empowering. I think it helped me to develop like a lens you know, through which I came to like look at the the world and 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 problems, and it also you know helped to put some language to my own story, to what I grew up seeing, right? And so, I want to start by just saying like it was I I feel blessed, right? Um, at the same time, with that said, 
um, my journey, um, and particularly like my journey through Brown was a real difficult one. Um, it was hard. I think I, I came with these, you know, eyes wide open and hopeful, um, but also at a, at a tough kind of transition in my family's journey. You know, a lot was going on in my home life, but also I got to Brown and I realized that like, okay, like where, you know, there was nobody like me, that it was hard to find people that I felt like could relate to what I had come through, right? Like I didn't, I didn't meet anybody that lived in the housing projects, right? And like can talk about government cheese and like Kool-Aid and all that stuff, right? You know what I mean? You know, not to put the stairs, you know, but like I didn't, I didn't meet like necessarily initially, you know, people that I, I felt like could could relate to that experience. Um, or or very few. You know, I did have a, you know, my first year I did have, you know, meet somebody that actually was from Providence and we got to bond and connect and like, you know, talk about the struggle, you know, together. And that probably helped me to like get through that first year at Brown. But I just remember feeling like, whoa, like, I don't know that I belong here. You know, like, I don't know that this place is set up for a person like me. And as I I looked around, I, I did get to interact with a lot of students, you know, a fair amount of students of color and, and all that through the third world sent, well, through what was then the Third World Center, which is now the um, BCSC, um, and through, you know, doing plays and things at the Rights and Reasons Theater and and, um, studying Africana studies. So I did get to, you know, meet um, some folks of color, um, but I still, for the most part, felt out of place, you know, and and didn't feel like I, I belonged here. And I think part of that speaks to the, the structural kind of inequalities here, right, of, you know, low-income students of color not having access to education, you know, higher education, and then certainly, like, having less access to what we consider to be the elite schools, you know, in the country, like Brown University and other schools, right? And so um, I think it, it, it speaks to that broader issue, and I'm glad that things are moving forward, but at that at that stage, you know, at that time, I did feel really isolated and alone. Um, and that really impacted me. I think that was sort of the first time that I, you know, actually experienced or depression, to be honest, um, and, and started to kind of go in and isolate myself. I remember just feeling like really insecure about myself while I was, while I was here, um, you know, at Brown. And so anyway, so it was, it was, it was a difficult journey. Um, I mean, there was a lot of interesting things, you know, in in between. And I was really blessed to be able to find other people that could relate on some level to, you know, at at least being black or, you know, of color and coming, you know, to an institution like Brown. Um, But it was, you know, it was, it was a challenge. And I didn't always feel like open to like talking about that either, you know, with other people, like sharing a bit about my background or, or like, you know, what I was struggling with. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious, you know, I think, you know, we we have we definitely have different college experiences and journeys. Curious to hear from you about like what it was like for you. You know, you talk a little bit about, you know, being first generation US person, you know, with a, a parent who came from another country. Like what was that experience like? Well, my my college experience in general is more drawn out right so like I said when I first graduated high school I went to community college 
and it wasn't, I didn't really know. So while I was there, I figured out that I enjoyed web design. And especially back then, no one really went to, and I probably now, no one really gets a degree in that too tough because it changes so frequently. So I didn't necessarily need to get an associate's degree in web design. So I dropped out, I guess. No, I did. I never thought about it like that, but I dropped out and I worked and I worked in web design. I worked in, did some things, got married, got pregnant. Mm-hmm. looked at my belly and said, this child in here will never say to me, I don't mm-hmm. have to go to college because you didn't go to college, right? <laughs> I wanted, I when I had a child, I knew I wanted my child to go to college because I wanted him or her to have any opportunity available to them, right? With a degree or without a degree. So I went back to um, Montgomery College here in Maryland and finished my associate's degree. So it was like two classes I had. Um, and then I finished that. When I had my son, I had postpartum depression. And mm. I was like, this, this, this is, this sucks. <laughs> this is not fun. Well, going through that, I very rarely ran into clinicians or um, pers- uh, doctors, anyone that was Black. Therapists, uh, psychiatrists, uh, doctors, uh, support groups. It just what there weren't black people. I'm like, where are all the people that look like me? I know we're going through this. And so that really catapulted me to finish my degree, my bachelor's, and then pursue my master's because I wanted to become the face in that space that I didn't Mm. see. I'm the type of person Mm. where I can, listen, I can make it work if I need to make it work. And that's what I did. But I know not everyone functions like that. So I wanted to give something that I didn't have. And that's what really took me to, ma- to um, getting my master's degree. Now, that experience was getting my master's degree was the first time I was in school, in school, like full time, you know, with the students sitting in the class. Okay. I was much older. Yeah, I'm still much right. older. But um. So it was different, (laughs) but I didn't expect for it to be as different as it was. I expected by the graduate level, we would be getting different information Mm -hmm. in regards to like race and everything in life, but it was the same information. It was the same regurgitated white supremacist kind of information that we've learned all throughout Mm -hmm. the school. So when I got there, I felt like you felt at Brown. I felt like, well, where are the people like me? Granted, mm. there were some Black people in the program, you being one of them, but <laughs> I didn't feel like, like I talk a lot. I, I point out the issues. I, I ask the questions. I just didn't right. see that. So I became that person. Every class was like, what about this? What about communities of color? What about Black people? What about, the, 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 what about everything besides white people? Because that's all we've been talking about, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that's when it became not as fun. That's when going to class was a job as well, because I was pointing yeah. out the things, asking for the information that yeah. the professors didn't have, and then yeah. side eyed by the white students that were like, "Well, why is she always bringing up race?" Mm. Yeah, this way, but nonetheless, 
Um, so yeah. that part, my graduate experience really, really, really impacted what my, uh, actually who I become in this kind of space, but also mm. I had to get real comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Yeah. That was a big thing for me. Yeah. I had to get real, un- because it's, when you're sitting in a classroom full of white students and you bring up a topic of race, there are a lot of times where they're not ready, willing, or able to process that information. And then I have to deal with that. Then I have to Mm -hmm. educate and give examples and talk about my story to help them. And that became a job. Yeah. So, and it sounds like, I mean, one of the ways that you, you dealt with you know, I think like your experience and it just like being a black student on campus was you allowed that anger to kind of like fuel, you know, some of your action on campus, right? And um, to help educate folks and, and all that stuff. I think it was frustration. Just, frustration, okay. Was, yeah, then anger. I, I was just frustrated how stupid people were. Like if you, if I just want to be as simple, <laughs> it was the stupidity of people that frustrated me because it was a, in my mind, it was an elected stupidity, right? You're not even trying to learn more. You're not even trying to expand your knowledge in any way. So now I feel like you're doing this on purpose and now I'm frustrated with you. Right. So that's right. how it would play out in my mind, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so that, I mean, I mean, it sounds like that, you know, made you, or made you have to, in, instead of, you didn't sink. I mean, I think I sunk a little bit, you know, in a way, Ooh, I mean, I in like a different that. way, there were some other things that I, I did, like I was still active in, you know, my, my community, but yeah. I think for you, it was like the, you in, in school, that was one of the spaces where you were like, okay, some stuff has to change, right? You know, like I'm, I can't be quiet because the next black students that come through this that i, I need them life. to have a different experience that is right? you know what I mean? for some reason i am always in very white spaces right i'm not sure why it's just jobs schools neighborhoods other than when i lived in brooklyn like really white spaces and i always say it is my job to leave this space better for the next black person that comes behind me, right? So I'm gonna give you all this blackness in your face. So when you get that next black person that comes in, you're like, well, whew, at least one Kiana. But but I'm going to socialize you to what blackness is in my way. So you understand that we're not just doing this racial socialization one way. I'm not just, as black people, we're not just getting used to how white people expect us to be and then performing in that way. You too right. have to get used to the way that I exist because my existence is just as important and as valuable as yours. And that, that really that. is a life motto of mine. Yep, yep, I love that. In many ways, it was almost like I, I I needed like Kiana to be like you know to lead the way for you know me when I was coming in you know um, in in some ways because I think even after you missed it yeah like I, I think there's like a lot of power you know yeah like I think for me like on campus you know that wasn't necessarily my space for a- activating myself I think I still you know stayed very much connected to you know, the community, you know, that I, that I came from and, um, and, and I think I found that as my, you know, as a space that I felt more comfortable and more, you know, empowered to like in, engage community work, you and know, I and think so what it was, that says, though, what that speaks mm-hmm. to is there's not one way to do this, right? 
It's, it's necessary everywhere. It's necessary in the community. It's necessary in the schools. It's necessary in all the systems that um, exist. So you being in the community, doing the work there needed to happen. Me doing the work in the school needed to happen. But everybody doesn't have to do everything, every opportunity right. they get. That yeah. is what is exhausting in being a person of color. Always having to right. fight. Mm, I got to pick. Exactly. I, I was, I was in school I was willing to punch him in the face with the information <laughs> yeah and I think you know as you talk about like the the different struggles of being black you know I think one of the things that I that I think about is like sometimes us having to kind of play multiple roles you know at the same time and like do you know multiple things um and you know sometimes we we compartmentalize and all that but I think like I I feel like I there's like some parallel uh stories that my my journey represents a little bit like so there's you know the the me that was like active and you know doing work in the community and and all of that and then there was the me that was like you know this insecure student like moving through you know her early college experience and like bumping into struggles along the way um but all the while still like remaining active so i mean my journey through brown was was super bumpy you know like um i Honestly, it, it took me 14 years to get my my bachelor's, you know, ultimately, and I took some big breaks in between. Um, and one of those breaks was becoming a mother, right? And, you know, ha and having two kids. But even during like those those times that I was on breaks, I, I was I was always engaged in the community. Um, I remember, you know, one of the um, things that I got to do, I the my first big like time period away from Brown, you know, when I got pregnant with my first son, I was actually, I directed like a grassroots organization in South Providence, you know, um, and it was called the People School. Um, but, and that was all about like people, like us kind of debunking the idea that we have to get an education, you know, that education only comes from these institutions that were formed for us, right? And education only comes from these elite institutions. And I think part of that was like me, me dealing with some of the pain that I was experiencing, you know, I think just like in my undergraduate experience, but we, we you know, it was, it was a space where everyday people would be able to come and create educational opportunities for each other, right? You know, and so it, it was called People School, and we had classes essentially that people from the community taught, you know, each other, and people from the community would come in, you know, to learn um, from each other. And I and I got to direct that. It was a pretty incredible experience. So even um, and it was, and I think that's one of the ways that I also was able to like get through some of the you know, I think the struggles, you know, cause it was like, there, there was community. There was, there was, yeah. there was, you know, still work to be done, you know? That's what um, I and, and I, it's just, it yep. sounds like community was such a big part of your journey in so many ways, yeah. finding it, creating it, creating an organization. Like that to me speaks to what we know historically, right. About our, at least black people is community is such part of who we are. I feel like it's in our DNA. Those are the right. types of things Absolutely. I think, right, that can help when you're at Brown and feeling um, isolated and alone, or I'm at uh, Maryland feeling like, are you people not listening? Like what is going on? Fine. You became part of my community 
because we could right. have these conversations <laughs> about what yep. was going on. Yep. I had another friend, yeah. uh, Arabia, that we would leave class, oh my gosh, and we would drive together. <laughs> and the venting session about essentially white supremacy <laughs> would go on and it would yeah. be so helpful to have that conversation with her. You don't feel alone. You don't feel yeah. crazy when they're, at least you right. don't feel crazy right. alone. <laughs> so I'll take it. Right. But um, that's why yeah. it sounds like community was a really big part of your journey. Yeah, I I I would say I think I I I found you know a big part of like my community and, and my people you know at that stage in my journey you know and then thankfully also got to find you later on in, in you know in my journey and I think when I got by the time I got to grad school I was kind of like okay I'm just trying to get this like you know piece of paper to do this thing you know like I ain't got time for like you know I'm sure I that's a problem but I'm not gonna call it out that you know like I, like, I, I was just like to do. <laughs> I was like I'm, I'm just I'm just trying to like get this thing right I know these people want me to be doing this but I, I have a different vision I'm nonetheless you know like we I think we still got to find that there, there was still that connection that was there you know that, that oh, still that idea that we we still want to be working to support our people you know what this reminds me of um how important it is to provide yourself with self-care and it reminds mm-hmm. and it speaks directly to brown students, right? Mm-hmm. That's you know we yeah. talked about what our experience was going through school and in college, but we weren't dealing with the pandemic then. We weren't dealing no. with the visual aspects of white supremacy and racial injustices the way that we are. We we didn't turn on the TV every day back then and see a black person being murdered by the cops, right? So now students mm. today students of color, specifically at Brown, you're in a space where you have these challenges just from being in this space and trying to get the education, but now you have all of this added on. How do you figure out how to manage and get through that? How do you continue to heal while this pain is still being inflicted to the communities? I think that is... That's the biggest right. question, right? How do you still get through and not get fully consumed and overwhelmed by things that some people feel aren't changing or not changing fast enough? Um, right, right. Absolutely. Right. And then also just getting through it amidst the pan, you know, like being in a pandemic, which is something that none of us have experienced, you know, before. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, that makes me think a lot about just what black people have had to do historically or have developed the muscle to do, you know, like just throughout our, you know, like our journeys, you know, and I don't know if this is a a coined phrase out there, but like, I think, you know, when I think about it, it's like this idea of like forced resilience, right? right? It's like, we have had to, you know, because of of, you know, the circumstances that we have always lived in, right, and that we've always been under, we've we've had to figure out ways to survive and thrive and find joy and find healing and grow and all this stuff, like amidst really dense, difficult, traumatizing experiences. And oppression. Right? And oppression. You know? And that's, to me- Oppression. Okay. Just say it simply. Yep. (laughs) When I think of, (laughs) put it this way, I don't like when people say Black people are so resilient as though it is this thing we want to be. 
right? I love that I am, <laughs> but I have to be yeah. because white supremacy is a thing. I have to yeah. be resilient in ways other people don't have to even think about resilience. I have to wake up every day. Let's say last night I saw whatever or I experienced whatever. I still have to wake up tomorrow, go to work, be okay, act like I'm not being traumatized and go on with my life because that's what what happens here. That's what happens in the world. Right. I am forced to be resilient. I don't necessarily want to. But now that I am resilient, I'm going to flex the hell out of this muscle. Right. There's another, you know, strong black woman. That's a, that's mm-hmm. something that's thrown yep. out a lot. Oh, you're a strong black woman. Or for me, I I am not uh, offended by that term, right? Because it's the same idea. Mm. I'm a strong black woman because I have to flex this muscle. I have to take care of so many things. We had to breastfeed your babies in slavery. Like, do we want to go through all these right. things? How yeah. black women have served humanity you know and so i have no but to be strong but now that i'm strong you're not going to take that away from me and say oh it's oh you don't want no 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 it's as though if i went to the gym and i worked out and i got muscles and then i leave the gym and you ask me not to punch you in the face but wait i got this muscle you know what i mean now i got these muscles i'm gonna use use them them. so that Yes. And I think that's what that's the piece of it, you know, right. and is like, how do we in the middle of all that, right, that struggle, like we're forced to like develop these ways of being. But like, is there a little bit of a gift in there, you know, or is there something that we can like, is there, I mean, we, we there, there's a muscle that we've learned how to use. Right. And I think, you know, something I, I was reading recently, um, you know, this this book actually called Ple- Pleasure Activism. And, you know, one of the articles in, in, in the book um, really kind of talks about how there's a lot of focus on, it, it talks specifically about like black feminist thought and like just like black women's bodies, right? Like there's so much, you know, talk about, um, a, a lot of the scholarship is all about, you know, how black women have been oppressed, right? Um, and, and that's like the, the big, the, the, kind of the focus which we it needs to be right like we we need to understand all of that um but what what doesn't get talked about is you know like some of the empowerment that can come out of that right like some of the 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 the, the beauty right and in black existence right um let's and so not forget right everything that a let's black women have is not good when a black woman has it until someone else has it Right. So if we had our butts were too big, our lips were too big. It was, oh, it was such a disgusting thing until non-Black women thought it was the thing to do. Now it's, oh, my God, look at her body. Oh, my God, look Mm -hmm. at this. If it's um, and those are just pop culture references. Right. But anything that is that's why I don't subscribe to. The negative thought about being a strong Black woman. You're damn right I am strong. Not the negative side of it, right? It's like, okay, sure. I had to be strong. And now I am strong. And I'm like glorifying it. Exactly. Celebrated all of this magic, all of this strength, all of this blackness. You're going to get it. Yep. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, we can use. Right. That we, I mean, we've had to historically do that, but that's something that we can use right now in the present, right? To like 
to, to cope and to work on our healing journeys, right? Is to be able to, yes, let's name, let's name what struggles we've been through. Let's name this oppressive state. Let's name what that is, right? Mm-hmm. And let's process, the second step is, is, is taking some time to process one, like, okay, what have been the negative impacts? How has, you know, being oppressed impacted us? But then the second part, you know, of that is thinking about like, what, what muscle have I built as a result of that, right? And how do I, how do we celebrate that? How do, how can we use that muscle to kind of overcome, you know, this, you know, what, what it is that we're going through, right? And I, you know, I, I think I, I share, I, I share a lot of that, like that idea of the strong black woman. I feel like I, there's some resentment that I have around that, right? You know, I'm like, oh, you know, like, um, but at the same time, I like, damn, you know, like, I've been through a lot, but I can also do a lot, you know what I mean? And, and how do I use that, right, to to further things along for myself, for my family, for, you know, the world that I'm a part of, right? For me, so. it is you, your expectation of me being the strong Black woman doesn't work for me, but I'm going to give you this strong Black woman when I'm good and ready, right? So I'm taking control of the strength of this person, of this woman. You're no longer forcing me to be this strong black woman. It's mine and I get to do with it what I want. I love it. So what is what are some other ways that we think folks can be living in this moment, you know, this this difficult moment and and healing and growing? You know, what are, what are some other ways? Well, um, I think I'm posing the question, but I'm also thinking like right. I, I was having a conversation with, with my son the uh, other day, actually, uh, my 14 year old son on uh, the other day and just like reflecting on, well, what, you know, what is this pandemic and what is this uh, everything that's been going on? How has that been like impacting you, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he did say was, you know, like having to kind of be a little, you know, way more isolated than before that. It, it's been a it's been a struggle. It's been really hard and you know um, and dark at times. But also, it's forced him to like learn some independence in a new way, like in a yeah. way that he wouldn't have before. And I was like, thank you for that. You know what I mean? I was like, thank you for you know like okay, you know. And so he was like, you know, like I feel like I like he feels more capable. Like you know, like ah. he can do more, right? You know, wow. he he's learned like this unique moment has helped him to learn a, a lot more about himself so he's been able you know and he i think gotta, to turn with, you know that that's what we all you know a lot of us you know um have been able to do is to kind of turn inward a bit yeah. right and and just kind of discover a bit more about ourselves you know um and i and i think we can we can use you know, aspects of this of this moment, right? Absolutely. To do that, right? Absolutely. To 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 take time for more self care, to take time to, you know, be inquisitive about ourselves, to take time to to develop parts of ourselves, or just take time to just be and like acknowledge that this hurts and this, you know, just whatever that is, but just really being all right with ourselves, you right. know. Yeah, I um yeah. to me that goes back to the idea we were just talking about where your son has gone through <laughs> a forced experience that he did he didn't choose a pandemic, but he went <laughs> through true. it and now he's looking at what are the the positive impacts that or the positive consequences that have come out mm-hmm. of being in such a very uncomfortable situation. Um now for me, I listen. <laughs> 
I've I've learned some things about myself for sure. I've learned I like mezcal uh, agave now, which is like a tequila. Like so, I've learned some things, <laughs> but I've also learned that um, places where I need to do some more personal work have been highlighted for myself that I don't think I would have mm. noticed if I was at moving at the same pace uh, before the pandemic. I think there are there are places where I've seen I need to strengthen some parts of me and mm -hmm. then some places where I'm like, okay, Kiana, you're still there. Like, let's move on beyond that, you know? Mm -hmm. For me, that part of being in, going through the pandemic has been really, really impactful. Community, finding community has been really helpful. Um, although it's different because a lot of it's virtual. Yeah. But it was yeah. important for me to stay connected to people in some way right. other than work. It was very right. important for me to to stay connected to my friends. Yeah. Finding that community um and being in that as a support system really Absolutely. my mental health. Finding community. Yep. I love that. Yeah. So I think, you know, those those are some you know, I think some things that we would we would offer up on how to to move through, you know, this difficult time, you know, is is one just like remember who you come from, you know what I mean, and like the strengths that like come with that, right? Remember who you are, right? And like amidst that oppression, right, that you feel, amidst that the pain that you're going through, right? There, there's some there's some kind of nugget in there, right? There's some kind of strength that's like being harnessed and developed, right? Like, and how do you, how do you use that, right? Like being able to identify that, you know, being, in, you know, leaning in a little bit on to towards yourself, right? You know, what is something that, you know, how can this moment help you to learn more about you, right? Um, and then the other piece is find a community. If you can't find it, working to create it, right? And one thing I will say about the community piece and that I feel like I've been very blessed with, um, I guess before we end, um, I, I told you I found so many folks that I consider part of my community at Brown. And so we, I have, a, I'm part of this beautiful sister circle of all like Brown alums actually, you know, women who we come together every Sunday and we've done it nonstop for the past plus year plus. And we just come together and check in with each other and hold space for each other and support each other. And a lot of us have gone through different life transitions and all that stuff through it. And we've been able to find ways to support each other. And where none of us are in the same space, you know, the same place, right? We're all across the country and different parts of the world, you know, but yet we, we still come together. We found a way to like connect and be together. And that has, I, I think, been a lifesaver, you know, amidst this. Um, and remembering, and I think, to have empathy with yourself is really important, right? And understanding, even in finding community, it doesn't have to look like it does for Misty or how it does for me. Yeah. Community can mean whatever. It could be one person. It could be someone uh, in a different country, online. Whatever it is for you, make it yours, right? It can, yes. it can be, as long as it serves your need, right? Find it. It's helpful. It really makes a difference, or at least it did for me. It did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> thank you. Wow. Thank you both so much, Misty and Kiana. You have done, you know, a phenomenal job of sharing both of your experiences. 
I'm grateful to have been able to sit in and to hear uh, from the two of you, you know, some of the things that I gathered was community support, um, being there for one another, you know, growth, maturation, uh, healing, um, you know, those are just some key words, but I also took away something that was very important, Kiana, that I think we connect on. I also gained an appreciation of Mezcal during this pandemic. So like we are there. Um, I, I totally I feel see you. I see you. Listen, I, and it's crazy because I was trying to explain that to a friend like a couple of weeks ago, you know, I was telling them to try it out. And I was like, you either love it or you hate it, right? There's no in-between. And I, I'm I'm on the love end and it seems like you are too. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, as a facilitator of this, I get to be, you know, a little selfish and ask my own question first, but we do have a couple of questions and I want to go to those. One of the things that really stood out for me in your conversation, your dialogue, is this idea of resilience, right? Um, and I feel like Misty was getting there a little bit talking about like, what is the gift, right? What is the gift from this trauma? What is the gift from this collective black struggle? And Kiana was pushing us there and talking about muscles. And the first thing that you know came to my mind was the idea of building muscles, right? It takes the breaking down of the muscle tissue for the muscle to heal and for it to grow. You have to first rip it, right? It is, and that's why many people don't like squatting or weightlifting because it is, it's painful. It can be real, you can be extremely sore the next day. Um, and, you know, it's hard to follow up on that, but it's this ripping, but a returning, a ripping and a returning, right? I think about that in the Black Collective struggle to think about your two, the two of your conversation and resilience comes to mind. So it's this need to be a strong black woman, um, this need to be resilient, this need to be honest, this need to be transparent, this need in the face of hate to love, right? That is painful and it can be extremely difficult, right? How do you make sense of that? How do you continue persevering even when the cars are stacked against you? Uh, we all have our own personal stories, but I would like to hear from the two of you. What do you do when everything is, you know, your back is against the wall and the world has literally counted you out and said, I don't care if you're a strong black woman. I don't want to hear from you. I don't want to see you. I don't care what you have to share, you know, for all, for lack of better words, forget you. You right. said forget for another word, right? Forget you, right? <laughs> so what do you do? How do you remain resilient? How do you persevere in a situation such as that? Well, for me specifically, I try to make it a practice of not allowing others people, other people's opinions or feelings about me to be my business. I don't care if you don't want to hear my voice. I don't care if my authenticity makes you uncomfortable. I don't care. We are brought into a society and we're grown into a society where they teach you to care about what people think about you all of the time. That does not work for people of color, for black people. If I constantly cared about what the white man thought of me, I would not, I'd be a shell of myself. So I don't care. And I have to remind myself sometimes when I go on these streets that I don't care because they will trick you into thinking you care, <laughs> right? They will do some things that will, that me, that will make me want to react in a specific way, but I have to remember how you feel about me is not my business. Now, if we are taking that idea into, let's say, a, a work setting where 
how they feel about you may impact me, I still walk in there with a level of authenticity, understanding at the end of the day, you don't make me, you don't break me. I'm very faith-filled. And I know if you try to stop me, I'm not stopped. Can I press you a little bit there? And I'm, I'm yeah. just wondering, you know, even when you say, you know, I don't care, I'm, I'm taking this not to be an apathetic moment, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I'm taking this to mean that your perception of me will not change who I am, right? Could you say more about being confident and securing yourself that nobody can literally press you to be something that you're not, that they cannot prescribe certain notions or put certain things on you to be something that you personally don't subscribe to? I can be really petty if we just want to go like straight with it i can be really petty so if your goal is to make me feel insecure it's not gonna happen i love myself too much to allow your insecurities because that's what it is to impact me so it's it's a mindset i didn't start out this way i had to build this muscle right going back to that because they will like you said continuously try to rip you apart a lot of people get stuck in the ripping of the muscle. I try to do the opposite. I try to process, look at it and see what the intent is. Is your intention to try to impose something onto me when it's not your place? I, I, I just, I can't allow it to happen. Me being authentic is very, very important. And I think that's what God uh, leads me in that decision-making process. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I just want to remind everybody who's out there, please, please, please drop your questions in the Q&A. Use that feature. I would love to pose your questions to both Kiana and Misty. Misty, I have a question for you. Um, yeah. What else did you do to heal while you hurt at Brown? What support services did you use before UFLA was created? How did you study away while being um, considered low income? That, that's a really good question. Um, and then after I answer this, I do want to, I would do want to reflect a little bit on the initial question that you um, posed. So healing, um, or I, I think I, I think what I tried to do was, I, I really struggled with the, well, let me just, let me just say this. I, I feel like I, you know, in my approach, I, I was very, um, I think, insecure about like my, you know, the, the reality that I had there. Like, I remember, you know, having, you know, getting pregnant with my first son and feeling kind of like, oh, my goodness, like I am supposed to be in college and like here, I, you know, and like kind of feeling like one of those like fallen angels kind of thing, you know, like everybody has these like big expectations for me and la la la, you know, and, and just kind of feeling like I, ooh, I was failing, you know, I was failing, you know, a, a lot of folks. Um, and I think I had to, and then, you know, on top of you know, feeling all of the other stuff that came before I even became a mom, you know what I mean? Like, you know, just kind of out of place and, you know, and, and all of that stuff. I think um, there were a lot of, I was very much in like my own kind of like internal world. Um, and I think for me, what ended up helping was um, I, I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable initially like sharing the stuff happening in my internal world with other people in my environment right and so for me therapy was 
was was something that did work, you know. So I remember my my first therapeutic experience was actually going into psychological services at Brown, you know. And at that point, you know, I, I think you guys may have more, you know, access to mental health services at Brown now. But we had like five, you know, sessions that we, you know, we could have. Um, and but it was like. I mean, there was a piece of me that was like, well, do I really want to like go there and like talk to somebody about my problems, you know, but I, I think I, I did, um, I, I utilized that. And I think I, I got to that point because I think one of the dean I was like struggling in school academically and, you know, I had to get pulled into the dean's office and, you know, they were like, here are some options for you, you know? Um, and so, and I, I used, you know, I, I was able to kind of use therapy. Um, but I, I, I guess I will say that I didn't, one of the, I think, things that w was a struggle was like learning how to advocate for myself. Um, I, I think I didn't, when you're, when you are in higher education, you suddenly become this like person that's responsible for yourself and like all of the, the pieces that come with that. So if you're struggling, you need to figure out a way to like deal with that struggle, right? And I wasn't used to like, having to one like admitting that I was struggling you know what I mean and or, or like kind of having that come up and then two having to go then find myself some help you know to kind of relieve you know and so it it almost like it was almost like things had to hit the bottom for me somebody else to kind of come to intervene you know for me to then be able to seek out services but I think one one of the things that I learned and was that okay that is available and so I think with time I was able to 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 develop those skills to begin to advocate for myself and my and my needs and i would say broadly i think that's how i survived um you know through that um and just quickly to like you know touch on what you asked you know before um around like just the, the struggles with exercising that muscle and like dealing as things break break down as i said before like you know i think I think Kiana and I, I think we're a nice combination, you know, with Healing While Black, because I think like we do, we bring different energies, you know, um, and Kiana has that like burst of confidence, right? And, but I have to say like, you know, I wasn't one of those people that had like a burst of confidence, right? You know, and that's, and that's, and that's a real thing for a lot of people too, you know what I mean? Like not, you know, growing up in, in an environment that kind of breeds some insecurities, right? You know what I mean? And and um and not and, and not feeling welcomed in a world right you know like that where the others weren't looking like you and all that stuff for me that impacted me deeply and it caused me to go go inward right and so it it my confidence was like a long you know me developing confidence it's still a work in progress to be honest you know but it, it, it's been a long journey you know um but I, I think part of it was have was i think what was helpful throughout all of this process was was getting to externalize things a little bit. I was taking in the weight of the world on myself. I was blaming myself for everything, all the, you know, for everything, right? You know, um, and being able to understand that there are some systems of oppression that exist out there, right? And I'm implicated in them, right? Like I'm a product of those things or I'm victim to those things, you know, like and being able to identify that really helped me to be able to like, push things out a little bit and like and, and gain some perspective and that helped me to 
get the distance I needed to begin to work on my own self-confidence and begin to heal that piece. So I think that's so important, that identify part, identifying that not only are you uh, behaving in this way or, or this is the way you feel, but understanding why, right? A lot of the times you're feeling this anxiety or you're feeling depressed because you're in these systems that were not built for us. So there's this added extra pressure. And so I think a lot of times identifying that, oh wait, this system is, is it, it, this system exists and it wasn't necessarily made for me. That's why it's hard. It's not hard because I'm weak or it's not hard because I don't have confidence. It's hard because it was built to be hard for me. And I did want to say one last thing. I'm full of insecurities. What do you mean? I have confidence, but I'm full of insecurities. But I force myself to push through them. But full of insecurities, definitely. Y'all, that this is powerful. Um, ooh, we only got a few minutes. Let me pull myself together. You know, I think it. it whew. I wanted to say this to Kiana before I asked Misty that last question, but Misty, I, I forgot it. You just brought me back to it. So thank you for returning and reflecting on that. Like the telos and the consequence of white supremacy is to literally make you doubt yourself, right? To question your identity, to make you like mentally incapable of being and surviving in this world, right? It's, it's not just the idea of, you know, police, violence or police brutality or physical violence and physical brutality and lynching and you know slavery right it's to indoctrinate certain things in your mind to make you feel like i am less than this is not my place you know i i cannot be who i fully want to be kiana did you want to hop in there and even that goes back to what we were talking about with the uh strong black woman thing right so now that i've become this you're telling me this is wrong to be because it doesn't fit into the narrative of white supremacy or the systems that you need to, to, to exist for, for you then to oppress and control people that look like me, I'll be damned. Right. So I think that's what we talk about a lot. So looking at historically what we've had to do to survive and embracing it and using it as a strength. I'll be damned if I didn't went to the gym and lift all these weights and I'm not going to flex these muscles. Right. They keep me alive. They keep me sane. They keep me happy and they keep space between me and what you're trying to do. You know, the UNCF, the United Negro College Fund, always they have that motto, a mind is a terrible thing to waste, right? And that, that just makes me think about it. Like to really know your history truly benefits you because you know what to expect. You know the strategies and the hatred of, you know, the oppressor, you know, or the colonizer. I really don't like that term. But let me let me move to these questions real quickly. Um, and I think this is on a same, similar uh, note. How do you find the motivation and inspiration to keep moving forward and building in moments where you feel tired and perhaps hopeless? Uh, how do you find your hope? Where do you find your hope? If I can add that part to the question. That's a good one. You got Misty. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I think sometimes when there's a piece that I, I just want to say, sometimes we need to rest, <laughs> you know that's what I mean? Fine. Like exactly it's, when it's okay to just be like, yo, I, right now I got, I got to take, I got to take a moment and I got to, I got to back up. I got to close my eyes. I got to, you know, I got to distance myself. Um, and I, I think I've been learning to, to do that, you know, more and more um, because I, I think, 
it, it, it almost feels like as black people, we don't have permission to do that, right? You know, we don't have permission to like rest and, you know, and, and, and just take moments and, you know, cause there's always, there's constantly things that we have to deal with, right? You know, um, and, and I think, yeah. So I, I just want, I, I mean, that's part of it is, you know, yeah. take, yeah. take moments to rest. I think um, in but, regards to okay. that, self-care, just to piggyback off on, on, of that, self-care is so important. We hear this term so much nowadays, self-care, self-care, self-care. Hmm. for real self-care. You, can, you probably can tell I'm, I'm a little feisty, right? I, I'm always in it on one, right? <laughs> but there are times where I say that battle's not mine. I'm tired. I done fought enough battles today, yesterday, and the day before. I am. I can take a day off. It's okay because I promise you, the stuff will be there tomorrow and I will still be black tomorrow. I can't mm. do all things. Like when we were talking earlier, Missy, and you were saying how you made impact in community and I made impact in grad school. Every black person can fight every fight that has ever existed for all of us. We all have to you know, take a turn when we can, but it is it, it can't be our constant place to fight every moment of every day. That's not sustainable. No. And I also think, absolutely, we can't fight everything, right? And it, and it can get overwhelming. And, and, you know, I think we feel like we, we have to answer to that call sometimes. But I, I think another thing that I've been learning a whole lot is like, it, part of it is like, you know, when, when things are feeling crazy outside, like reach within, you know, and, I, and, I, and that might sound a little corny or whatever. But like, I think, you know, like we all are individual human beings <clears throat> with you know, special qualities and talents and like, you know, interest and things like that. And I think it's okay for us to tap into that because I feel like ultimately that's how we, that's, that's how we contribute, you know, to the world, you know, is, is through whatever it is that we, you know, get to harness about ourselves, you know? Um, and so taking moments to, you know, to, to be with ourselves and to validate like, your interests, you know, and your the things that you do that may not be about like struggling, you know, and or or you know, or fighting for black folks or whatever, you know, like just getting fueling yourself, you know. Sometimes we just want to exist. Sometimes we just want to be people and not black people. We just want to be people. It's and it's okay to want that and it's okay to feel that. Mm. Know that when you walk out this door, you're gonna be black. But it's okay to just want to exist sometimes. And I will say personally for me, one thing that helps me when the world is too crazy and too full of white supremacy, I take it back to the basics. Like I go outside with my, I put my feet on the grass. I get in <laughs> nature. That reminds me that I'm very spiritual. So that reminds me all these people here trying to impact in certain ways. They're not really the, the point. The point is all that exists. All that exists outside of the thought of white supremacy to me helps to ground me and bring me back to understanding they really don't have the control that they're trying to have over me. Hug a tree. Go outside and hug a tree. <laughs> that is real. Um, thank you all. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking about all these gems that you all, that the two of you dropped. And, you know, Misty brought this up and Kiana, you emphasized it is identifying earlier, right? Really identifying one, you know, some of your tickers, some of the things that like enrage you, what makes you upset, 
you said it, Kiana, I think best. Uh, and my grandmother and grandfather used to always say this, right? You might lose the battle, but you're going to win the war, right? And it's knowing when to sacrifice, when to shut up. Like, I really have a hard time. Like, I truly sometimes see something that is just really nerve wracking to me. And I just want to go off. And I'm like, ah, this is not my moment. Let me shut up. Let me sit back, right? <laughs> or just trying to rethink and be like, I'm really about to expend my energy, my good energy here. Because again, like you said, exhaustion, right? Tiredness, right? It makes me think of my favorite book, Invisible Man, I have to find it uh, on the shelf, right? And, and the idea is to keep you running, keep going, right. going, 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 going. So you don't have time to think. So you don't have time to reflect. So you don't have time to rest. And if I can keep you going, and if I can keep you running, I won. Yeah, I control. Mm. I control. I control yeah. you, right? Because yeah. you're always working because I got the dollar. You're always doing because I said that you must do. You almost you always being entertained or advertised to or consuming, right? Like it's the. Let me get to you. And this is what I think. I'm gonna start preaching. (laughs) This is what I think, though, in regards to that. I think people, specifically (laughs) black people, forget that they have choice right? Just because something is there and they say want it, it doesn't mean you have to want it, right? If they say mm. get the, the most expensive car, the most expensive bag, why do you have to, why do you have to agree with that? You can get what works for you in the same way we talk about healing. Heal in the way it works for you, not the way it's told to you. And that's the same thing about self-care, right? Uh, mm-hmm. When you were saying earlier, and, and I'm gonna go back to your word identifying both of your words because I think that's important. Recognizing what's good for you, right? I think therapy is good for mm-hmm. everybody, but mm-hmm. therapy might not be mm-hmm. good for everybody, right? And, you know, <laughs> that may not be your thing. Right. Journaling may be your thing. Writing your thoughts out, writing a poem may be <laughs> your thing, right? Buying a picket fitness house may not be your thing, right? Living in a trailer, yeah. double wide trailer may be your thing, and that's fine. That's you okay. have to be happy and content with your thing not what somebody else, you know, wants you to do. Let me get to this question though. Um, What are the first steps to building confidence in yourself and being able to walk through a predominantly white space without feeling insecure or feeling like you have to be quote unquote presentable Mm. stereotypes? That's a strong word. How do you you get rid of that weight of expectations and perceptions from other people? Who wants to tackle it first? (laughs) I don't know how other people do, but I do know that when I heard that question, immediately I thought self-acceptance, right? You have to be okay with you before how other people don't impact you, before that's not impactful to you, right? So authenticity and self-awareness is important. But also knowing you're going to walk down that hall as a non-white person and they're going to think the things you are thinking they're thinking. They are going to think all of the stereotypes, all of the white supremacist thoughts. That's going to exist. Some of them will. Not all. Some of them will. And how you feel about that isn't going to change how they, how they feel about you. So you focus on you. You focus on being who you like Missy was saying, go in turn, go inside, uh, understand who you are. And if you don't know, decide who you want to be and then work towards that. And that helps you to gain that. So I call it kind of like a, a kind of like a force field, right? I enter white mm. spaces and there is a level of, let's say, imposter syndrome. But I say to myself, oh, this doesn't feel comfortable. Gosh, I don't belong here, but I'm here. 
but I'm here. Yeah. Now I'm here. I'm going to show all the way out. You're going to get it all. Yeah. I don't know how I got here or why I'm here, but I'm here. And I'm going to be here with all the blackness that I got. And then you're going to, they're going to figure it out. It no longer becomes my job to figure out what they're thinking about me or what they feel about me. I second that. Um, yeah, I, I also think that acknowledging that it, it may very, you're, you're moving up against a lot, right? So it's very possible that you will feel insecure, right? Like it is very possible that you will feel like you have to wear to, you know, kind of be presentable and play into those politics of respectability or whatever it is right like it's it, it it is possible right because that's the that that's what that that's what's out there in the world um and so i think being able to acknowledge that like you know being able to just when that comes up and i think kiana you pointed it out like you know ooh, this doesn't feel right you know like just acknowledging that okay i'm insecure but then remembering why right like okay i am insecure because there is this whole system that's set up in this way right like it's not because of anything that i am not it's not because of anything that i did or didn't do it's because of some other stuff that actually transcends beyond me right you know and i think just being able to 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 acknowledge that you feel that way and not be ashamed. I mean, like I used to, I'm, you know, be ashamed of being insecure and being ashamed, right? Cause you know, we grew up in like the black community, like, you know, you better be strong, you better be confident, you better be whatever, you know what I mean? And so like, for me, it was like, you know, like even like, I, I wouldn't go to talk to college professors because I'm like, they're gonna, find out that I'm insecure or that I'm not like, you know, like they're going to find out that I don't love myself or they're, they're going to find out that I'm not smart enough or that I'm, you know, like, and so sometimes like we, we do this thing where we don't get to even accept the, 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 the pieces of us that are, that feel funny and feel ugly and feel uncomfortable. But I want to say to us as black folks, like we, we got to just feel that stuff. Like it's, it's important. Like for me, it's been inc an incredible part of my journey being able to do that, right? And I won't lie to you, like honestly, even when we were invited to come and and speak here, right? Like I, it brought up that 19, that 18, 19 year old self that was insecure and felt unsmart and felt out of place and all of that stuff. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you, I sat with my, I had to sit with my therapist to speak here, y'all. Like I, I had to sit and I had to be like, okay, there's some stuff that I'm feeling, you know, like I am, that was a time in my life that I was the most insecure of myself. And I didn't want to like admit that. And I didn't want to face that. And, but the reality is that that's, we're human. Like that those part. are, we black people, we feel everything. We feel all of that stuff. And I feel like we need to just like give ourselves like permission to feel the range of emotions that all humans <laughs> feel, oh. you know? Um, so give yourself permission. You don't have to be like, right now i'm strong i'm black i'm whatever you know what i mean like right now i feel beaten down i feel tired i feel frustrated i feel hurt i want to cry i want to whatever you know like just give yourself permission to do that because then that gives you that actually gives you the opportunity to really move through it and deal with it because if you don't you don't actually deal with it then you you grow you grow with those things right like those things carry right there's a reason why i'm still like traumatized that you know thinking about like presenting at brown right because there was still some stuff from my from you know all those years ago that i still have to unpack and deal with right so bring them up to the surface and deal with them 
That's what, something yeah. you said triggered something in my mind. When you're walking in these spaces, down these halls with all of these white people and you're feeling insecure, understand these people are feeling insecure too. It is not something that is exclusive to us. We think because white supremacy, some of us think because white supremacy exists that they don't have these same human feelings and experiences. They do. What they do with it may be different, but they have these same experiences. One small example, totally not related. I was a very skinny, skinny child growing up, would not wear uh, sleeveless shirts because I was like, oh my God, I look, whatever. But I saw a white girl one day walking down the street in Brooklyn and she was just no sleeves, as skinny as she wanted to be. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Why can't I do it? She's doing it. I am no less than her in any way. So that little, little <laughs> tiny example, I was maybe 11, stuck with me forever. If you could do it, I could do it. Why not? Why not? <laughs> That's amazing. Mr. You said, you know, feel yourself, love on yourself, care for yourself. I mean, that's strong. It made me think of Beloved, that beautiful quote in that uh, book by Toni Morrison, when she was like, love your flesh, love your hands, you know, get back to the basic, love your nose, love your lips, love your heart, that loving heart, right? And I mean, Kiana, you said, you know, I'm here. I mean, I was snapping my fingers. That is important <laughs> to know that you are here because people try to stop that very thing. I'm here building a force field. I think about that uh, that dumb commercial. It's like, you can't touch me. You can't touch me. I'm touching you. I'm touching you, right? Like literally certain things won't be able to touch you if you build that force field. Uh, we're over time by a couple minutes, but I really want to close up and say thank you real quickly. Um, what is one thing, you know, if you could share one thing with the Brown undergraduate community, what is one thing you would tell them um, to do to love themselves better? I would say accept yourself except every part of you, despite what people outside of you may try to tell you about yourself, understand who you are and accept it. You absolutely grow from that. Absolutely. Yes. I, I, I would, I think I have to say the same thing, you know, be you, be all parts of you, right? All parts of you, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be the caricature that, or the, this ideal, you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't mean to say, well, I didn't mean to say caricature, but it doesn't have to be this, like, these ideas that are out there about what you're supposed to be and who you're supposed to be, right? Like, be, all parts of you are welcome, right? Even when they don't feel welcomed. Absolutely. Um, and also there are resources, you know, there are, if you're looking for therapy, clinicians, um, specifically of color, there is, um, you can Google clinicians of color, there's a directory where you can put in your information and find um, a clinician of color that accepts your insurance in your area. There's also the Black Virtual Wellness Directory. Um, where you can find not only black therapists, you can find doulas, yoga teachers, mediators, a, a variety of support systems. And you know, you can always check out the Healing While Black podcast. You, uh, you can get yeah. it anywhere that you listen to podcasts. You can absolutely rate us on, um, what is it? Apple podcast. So we can, you know, get those numbers up a little bit, but um, <laughs> you know, Stay engaged. Plug, 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 plug. Y'all yes. give it up for Kiana Wade and Misty Wilson. Thank you both. Thank you, thank you, thank you for showing up, for sharing, for opening yourselves up to us. I mean, we are more, we are better today because of you sharing with us. And so we're really grateful for the two of you. 
and let this not be the last time you show up at Brown. You know, it doesn't have to do a, be a Healing While Black podcast, but we would love for you to do it again. And if not, you know, just come and love on us. And we really appreciate y'all doing that. You know, continue doing the work that y'all are doing. Um, it is really making a difference. It's making an impact. And this is the work that needs to be done, right? Um, and, and I don't think there's two better people who could do it than the two of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Much success to the rest of your journeys. And we really Thank appreciate you. you all. Thank you all for joining in. Everybody who's in the, the Zoom world out there, we really appreciate all of you. Um, and we hope to see you again. Shout out to the Sarah Doyle Center, to the Youth Law Center, and to the Brown Center for Students of Color. Uh, we appreciate you all for sponsoring this event. That was a great conversation at Brown University. I really enjoyed talking with you there, Misty. Yes, yes, it was a wonderful conversation. It was kind of crazy to be back at my alma mater. I know, you're so dope. And you're dope too. (laughs) (laughs) We are, we can't help it. (laughs) So in this episode, we both shared about what has helped us get through this crazy past year. And we'd like to hear from you. Let us know what has helped you get through this pandemic and how you've been grappling with this racial reckoning in the country over the past year plus. Hit us up on Instagram at HWB Podcast or send us an email at healingwhileblackpodcast at gmail.com. We want to send a special shout out to a dear friend of the podcast, Sage Morgan Hubbard, for inviting us to Brown for this episode and for being just an overall supporter of ours throughout this entire journey. And we want to also thank you all for sticking with us. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Bye.